Please remain standing in honor of God's word. We're continuing on through the book of Proverbs. And this morning we're looking at Proverbs chapter 3. And we'll look at verses 13 through 20. Originally I planned on going to the end of the chapter, but we'll just look at 13 through 20. This is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deep broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we ask that by way of your word and spirit, you will grant us wisdom and understanding so that we can experience the great blessings that they bring. And we ask these things with confidence because we ask them in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Let me begin this morning by drawing your attention to the first word in verse 13, that word blessed in the English. Uh, to see what the author Solomon is actually saying, I need you to put on your Hebrew glasses just for a moment. And what you will see is that this word blessed is in the plural, which means that it denotes either a multiplicity of blessings or an intensification of them. Thus, verse 13 could be translated, Oh, the happinesses, or oh, the blessednesses that crown the life of a person who finds wisdom, the person who gets understanding. Solomon is eager for his son to enjoy these blessings. Now, you'll notice that verse 13 began with the word blessing. And 18 ends with the same word, which I am interpreting as blessednesses. And what that means is by beginning with blessednesses and ending with blessednesses, it's what grammarians call inclusio. It holds the passage together. So the first section is verses 13 to 18. And then the second section is verses 19 and 20. And the author, again, Solomon, is making a deliberate contrast between the man that began in verse 13 and then the Lord that he talks about in verse 19. You'll notice that in verse 13, he says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. And we find that same pair in verse 19. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. 
So man does what he does by wisdom and understanding, and God does what he does by wisdom and understanding. Now, it's interesting, when you look at verses 19 and 20, they almost seem like an interruption. Because Solomon is talking to his son and giving him instruction, and, and then he talks about the Lord in these two verses, and then, Lord willing, moving on next week, we'll see the end, and we'll see that he resumes in talking about his son. So we have to ask, why do we have these two verses about the Lord here, and about him doing all that he does with wisdom and understanding? And I believe what Solomon is doing is giving us an example of the perfectly wise person, the Lord himself, and he wants us to be like him. So this morning we're going to look at two points. If you're taking notes, they're simple, straightforward. In the first section we have wisdom is man's greatest treasure. It's 13 to 18. And then wisdom is God's greatest treasure, 19 to 20. So let's begin with wisdom is man's greatest treasure, and I'm going to divide that into four points, and the first point is find wisdom, get understanding. That's pretty straightforward. Verse 13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Bruce Wolke notes that this word finds means aggressive search, not chance happening. Finding it means an aggressive search. You are looking long and hard to find it. Now here's the question I have for you. How many of you here this morning need wisdom? You don't have to raise your hand, but I know the answer. The answer is all of you need wisdom. And if you think you don't need it, you need it more than the rest of us. <laughs> But here's the follow-up question. How many of you will find wisdom? Sometimes God is abundantly gracious, and he throws wisdom in our path. And that does happen from time to time. He's so good to us. Wisdom will come through another person that we're talking to or a circumstance, and, and God is gracious. But usually, finding wisdom requires work. For example, it requires persistent prayer. Maybe some of you are stuck in a situation at home, at work, and you need wisdom, and you've been praying, and, and thus far you haven't received an answer. You know what God would say? Keep praying. Keep calling out to me. Sometimes wisdom may require reading a book or two. Maybe you need to grow in your understanding of a specific subject, and, and you might have to do a little reading. You might have to actually do a little studying. You might have to revert back to your days in school and say, Lord, I need your understanding, and look for a book or two to read. Uh, perhaps you need to seek out godly counsel. Maybe there's a wise man or woman that you need to go to and say, you know, I'm struggling with this. Uh, do you have any advice for me? Proverbs says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And as always, wisdom requires walking closely with the Lord. And as we intentionally do those things, we will find wisdom. We need to remember wisdom 
is a gift from God. He is the one that gives it. Uh, I, I like Job 28. Uh, in this passage, this chapter, Job is speaking. And I won't read the entire passage, but I will read most of it. Uh, Job 28, Job says, Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Verse 5, As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. Verse 10, he cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eyes see every precious thing. He dams up the stream so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it. Nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. Verse 23. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. Verse 28. And God said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Harmonizing Job 28, 28 with Proverbs 3, 13, in order to find wisdom, you have to find the fear of the Lord. You have to know who God is. And you have to know him in such a way that you rejoice and tremble in his presence because he's a powerful God. He is a mighty God. And as you heard earlier, he is a good God, unimaginably good. And when you understand the fear of the Lord because of who he is, Job said, that is wisdom. And then notice the other half, to turn away from evil is understanding. As I told my high school Bible class a few years ago, sin makes you stupid. To turn away from evil is, to, is understanding. If you want to grow in wisdom, if you want to grow in understanding, it's understanding who God is. And it is turning away from sin. Are you turning away from sin? Are you seeking to live a holy life? That is essential if you are going to experience the blessings that wisdom and understanding can bring. So that's the first point. Find wisdom. Get understanding. Number two, it's better than silver. Verses 14 and 15. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I, I love how Solomon ups the ante. She's better than silver, gold, 
jewels, diamonds, rare jewels. In fact, nothing you desire can't compare with her. Is that hyperbole? Is, is he exaggerating? Remember what wisdom is? It's, it's principles that we live by, like Proverbs 15.1, a, a soft or gentle answer turns away wrath. That's, that's wisdom. It, it's also characteristics that guide our lives. Chiefly, it's probably the, the fear of the Lord. We're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then we're also told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it's, it's principles, it's, it's characteristics. By the way, as I've, as I've been going through Proverbs, just kind of one by one, if you were to put together a chart, and on one side you had principles to live by, and on the other side you had characteristics that guide our lives, there would be way more Proverbs under characteristics that guide our lives. And I thought that was fascinating. Wisdom is not just about following this principle or this advice. Mainly, wisdom is about being a certain kind of person, a righteous person, a godly person, a person who fears the Lord, a person who walks uprightly and integrity. You're going to find that a lot more than you will principles. But it is also, as I've reminded you, a person. Wisdom is found in Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 1, 24, Paul says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And in Colossians 2, 3, we're told that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it's not an exaggeration to say that nothing you desire can compare to her or to him, Jesus himself. So find wisdom, get understanding. It's better than silver. Number three, it offers life's greatest gifts. Verse 16, long life is in her right hand. And I thought of Moses, Deuteronomy 34, 7 says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor was unabated. When Moses was 120 years old, he didn't need glasses. Here I am at 58. It seems that day by day my, my eyesight is going. His vigor was unabated. He was 120 years old and he had the energy of Michelle. Isn't that something from the day he died? Wisdom brings you that kind of long, healthy life. And then Solomon goes on and says, In her left hand are riches. Remember King Solomon? 1 Kings 3, the Lord comes to him in a dream and says, Ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon asks, for wisdom, and the Lord says, because you didn't ask for riches or long life or the death of your enemy, because you have asked for wisdom to rule over my people, I will give you all these other things. If you get wisdom, all these other blessings follow in its train. But if you get riches, you don't necessarily get wisdom. 
And Solomon also says that in her left hand is honor. We saw this word last week, if you were with us. It was in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. It's the Hebrew word, kabod. It can be translated glory. It means weighty. Wisdom brings glory to a person. Honor to a person. We could say it brings respect to a person. It brings a good reputation to a person. That, that's what wisdom will bring to a person. And then in 17, Solomon says, her ways are ways of pleasantness. I like that. There's a lot of Proverbs that talk about pleasantness in the home. Proverbs 15, 16, and 17. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted ox and hatred with it. Wisdom brings pleasantness to a home. And then lastly, all her paths are peace. All her paths are peace. And you could probably guess what the Hebrew word for peace is. Shalom. Think of the blessing of peace in your heart. Peace in your home. Peace in your family. Peace among your friends. Peace in our church community. How much? Let me ask you, how much would you pay? What kind of loan would you be willing to take out to experience peace in each of those spheres of life? And Solomon tells us, wisdom can bless you with that kind of peace. Some of us don't have peace in these different relationships. It's because we're lacking in, in wisdom. And we need to pray that God would give us wisdom so that peace could come into these relationships. Nothing you desire can compare to wisdom. It'll give you the greatest of all gifts. Like what Bruce Walkie says in his commentary, he says, Wisdom is better than silver because money can put food on a table, but not fellowship around it. Money can buy you a house, but not a home. Money can give a woman beautiful jewelry, but not the love she really wants. Only wisdom can give us these things. So number one, find wisdom, get understanding. Number two, it's better than silver. Number three, it offers life's greatest gifts. And number four, she's a tree of life. So hold her fast. Verse 18, she is a tree of life to those who hold her fast. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Now, in the Bible, there are only three books of the Bible where we find reference to the tree of life. The first, of course, is found at the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, where in the middle of the garden was the tree of life. And Adam and Eve were in the garden. And in the middle of the garden, I find it instructive that there was the tree of life and the tree of death. 
And when they were given a choice, they ate from the tree of death, otherwise known as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which reminded me of Proverbs 14 too. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And it's a reminder of how blessed we are to have the wisdom of God's word, which leads us to life because left to ourselves, when we're given a choice between life and death, we choose death. But God wants us to enjoy life. And some of you know that after Adam and Eve ate from the tree of death, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Lord drove them out of the garden. And we read in Genesis 3:24, he drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life quite a provocative image. Man is driven out of the garden where he enjoyed fellowship with God and cherubim, and by the way, that's plural, so there's at least two angels, maybe more, not allowing the man to come back into the garden because these massive angels are holding flaming swords so that Adam and Eve cannot come back into the garden and eat from the tree of life. This, this is a sign of the, the punishment of God. Paradise is lost. But if you read through the Bible, you'll see that paradise will be restored because in the last book of the Bible, we also have a reference to the tree of life. And in the last chapter, Revelation 22, 1 and 2, we read, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This is a picture of paradise restored. We could call it returning to Eden. God is bringing us back into the garden, and he does that by allowing us to eat from the tree of life. So we find the tree of life in Genesis, Revelation, but we also find it in the book of Proverbs. We find it here, and we actually find it in three other passages in Proverbs as well. It's also in Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Proverbs 15, for a gentle or healing tongue is a tree of life. And here's the good news. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to eat from the tree of life. It is available to us now through wisdom. When we come to wisdom, when we come to Jesus Christ, we can partake of the tree of life. And what's fascinating is as we partake of the tree of life, we bring healing to others. Those verses that I read, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. So as we're righteous, as we have a gentle tongue, we are a tree of life to other people. I think that's fascinating. And perhaps that explains the ending of verse 18 where it says, those who hold her fast are called blessed. 
Now, who calls these people blessed? Could be God. It could be other Christians. Other Christians look at these people who have partaken of the tree of life and, and call them blessed. And I think this is how it works. As Christians lay hold of the tree of life, they themselves become a tree of life that brings healing and life to others. And therefore, when you interact with these people, they bring life to you, and, and you say how blessed you are. And here's something I want you to know. Many of you are a tree of life to me. It is such a joy to be a part of this congregation. The encouragement, the life, the challenge that you bring to me through your, your generosity, through your, your love of God. You may not even know it. You just talk about what you're learning, studying in the Bible, and it, it encourages me. And, and I think of our church as one giant tree of life and, and all of us who are connected to this body, which finds its ultimate connection in Jesus Christ, experience life. And I just want to thank all of you for the blessing that you are for me. Michelle was asking me, did you thank everybody for pastor appreciation? I said, I think I did. I hope I adequately did. But as she said that, I was just once again thinking of what a blessing it is to be a part of, of this church and how life-giving it is. And every, every once in a while, I really do think this, I think, how do people go through the trials of their life without a church body? How do you do that? How do you survive? I am blessed, and you are blessed to be a part of a, a church community where we can give life to one another. So that's the first point. Wis wisdom is man's greatest treasure. Wisdom is God's greatest treasure. You might wonder if I'm overstating the case, but remember, if wisdom is found in Jesus Christ, it is not an exaggeration to say that Jesus Christ, God's Son, is his greatest treasure. Verse 19, we read, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By wisdom, founded the earth. What does that mean? By Jesus Christ, he founded the earth. We looked ahead a few weeks earlier at Proverbs uh, 8, verses 30 and 31, where we read, Wisdom saying, then I was beside him, talking about the Lord, like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. When the Lord created the world, wisdom was right there, like a master workman, working with him in creation. In John 1, 1 and following is explicit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So verse 19 could read, The Lord, by the Word, Jesus Christ, wisdom, founded the earth by understanding he established the heavens. And of course, by talking about uh, 
the founding of earth and the heavens, that is shorthand for saying all of creation. It reminds us of Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, he created everything. And God created everything by wisdom. And all you have to do is be honest. And if you meditate on creation, you see the fingerprints of God's wisdom everywhere. I like what John MacArthur writes. He said, Sir John C. Eccles, Nobel laureate in neurophysiology, said that the odds against the right combination of circumstances occurring to have evolved intelligent life on Earth are highly improbable. But he went on to say he believed that such did occur, but could never happen again in any planet or in any other solar system. Because the odds are just too great. You do not, or excuse me, if you do not recognize a wise creator, you have quite a problem explaining how this marvelous, intricate, immeasurable universe came into being. He goes on to say, Yet thousands upon thousands of men believe that man emerged out of primeval slime. Man just evolved. That wondrous creature whose heart beats 800 million times in a normal lifetime and pumps enough blood to fill a string of tank cars running from Boston to New York. That same man whose tiny cubic half-inch section of brain cells contains all the memories of a lifetime. That same man whose ear transfers sound waves from air to liquid without losing any sound. A.K. Morrison, another brilliant scientist, tells us that conditions for life on Earth demand so many billions of minute interrelated circumstances appearing simultaneously in the same infinitesimal moment that such a prospect becomes beyond belief and beyond possibility. Unless there is a powerful and wise designer behind it all. No wonder Paul said in Romans 1.20, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And part of his divine nature that we see is his wisdom. And we see it in all of creation. But Solomon gives us just one example in verse 20. He says, By his knowledge the deeps broke open, and the clouds drop down the dew. Or it could just be translated, rain. Isn't that interesting how he draws our attention to one aspect of creation 
And he basically says, consider the rain that falls from the clouds. Let's do that. Let's, let's consider the rain. This is what John Piper wrote in the Thanksgiving meditation. And he wrote this about the rain. I find this fascinating. He said, picture yourself as a farmer in the Near East, far from any lake or stream. A few wells keep the family and animals supplied with water. But if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed month to month, water has to come from another source on the fields. From where? Well, the sky. The sky? Water will come out of the clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then be poured out on the fields from the sky. Carried? How much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls in one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be over two million cubic feet of water which is over 17 million gallons, which is over 144 million pounds of water. That's heavy. <laughs> so how does it get up in the sky and stay there? That's a great question, especially if it's going to be so heavy. Well, it gets up there by evaporation, really. That's a nice word. What does it mean? It means that the water sort of stops being water for a while so that it can go up and not down. I see. Then how does it get down? Well, condensation happens. What's that? The water starts becoming water again by gathering around little dust particles between point zero 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 one and point zero 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 one centimeters wide. That's small. What about the salt? Salt, yes, the Mediterranean Sea is salt. That would kill the crops. What about the salt? Well, the salt has to be taken out. Oh, so the sky picks up millions of pounds of water from the sea, takes out the salt, carries the water, or whatever it is when it is not water, for 300 miles, and then dumps it, now turned into water again on the farm. Well, it doesn't dump it. If it dumps millions of pounds of water on the farm, the wheat would be crushed. So the sky dribbles the millions of pounds of water down in little drops. And they have to be big enough to fall for one mile or so without evaporating and small enough to keep from crushing the wheat stalks. How do all these microscopic specks of water that weigh millions of pounds get heavy enough to fall that's the way the, to ask the question. Well, if it's called, or excuse me, well, it's called coalescence. What's that? It means the specks of water start bumping into each other and join up and get bigger. And when they are big enough, they fall. Just like that? Well, not exactly. Because they would bounce off each other instead of joining up. If there were no electric field present, what? Never mind. I love that. <laughs> the wisdom in drops of water coming from the clouds. 
And that's just rain. And without it, we would die. And we could go on and we could talk about oxygen. Without that, we would die. We could talk about the sunlight. We could talk about how it's amazing that the sun is just far enough away so it doesn't burn us up. Or excuse me, not too close so it burns us up far enough away so we don't freeze. And then we could talk about dirt. Have you ever thought about the miracle of dirt? I remember one time I was, I was working in our yard. I'm in the dirt, and I'm like, it's a, God made dirt. Think of the ecosystem in dirt with the, the bugs and the worms. Think of the miracle the next time you take a seed and you put it into the ground. The next time you take an oak seed, an acorn, and you put that in the ground, and just think, over time, that acorn is going to become a mighty oak tree. And all these other little seeds, you're going to plant them in your garden, and they're going to be cucumbers, watermelons, potatoes, radishes, onions, so that animals can survive, so that you can survive. What kind of brilliant genius came up with all that. God invented all of that. No wonder Solomon wanted to take a couple of verses and just say, consider the wisdom and understanding of God and creation. And just take a moment and consider rain. And if we wanted, we could go on from there. God does it all in wisdom. And I think what Solomon is saying Think of what you could do if you would get a hold of the wisdom that God has available to you. I think that's why we have the example of the Lord here. I think Bruce Wilkie is, is right when he says, If the Lord with wisdom as his tool accomplished the wonders of the various phases of creation, setting the earth on its foundations by splitting the primeval waters and setting the heavens in their appointed place and watering the earth with rain from the clouds. Think what his revealed wisdom will do in the lives of those who find it. If you find wisdom, it can transform your life. And here's the thing. I think we just take it for granted. We have a book full of wisdom to guide us. It's almost not fair because God is showing us how we can experience blessednesses. And yet there are so many outside the church who are just lost. I mean lost. This last week, I was working in my office on the message, and I'm studying wisdom. And this person comes in, and it just took me a few moments. They were talking to another person on the phone, describing their life. And it just took me a few moments to realize this person is lost. They haven't a clue. And I was asking God, why, why did you bring this person into the church? And, and I thought perhaps one of the reasons is to remind you of how blessed you are to have the light of God's word because there are people in this world who are are just lost and they're going from relationship 
to relationship. They're going from one addiction to another. And they have no guidance. They have no direction. They don't know where they've come from. They don't know where they're going. And yet, in the goodness of God, he has opened your eyes and revealed his wisdom to you so that even though you're struggling and even though you stumble from time to time and we all do and we all fall, but by his grace we get up and he leads us and we say, Lord, I obviously need some more wisdom. Will you guide me? And he actually does. And perhaps God wants us to know just how blessed we are to have the revelation of his word available to us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do indeed thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that we can find wisdom.